0: in our lives. we just thank you. We lift your name high. We worship you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open with me to Isaiah chapter 62. So Isaiah chapter 62. And as you turn there, I want you to think about, if you can, uh, the first Prayer you ever learned to pray so just think about the first prayer you ever learned to pray now I'm not a smart man, but I can take a wild guess um, probably two different ways of what the first prayer you learned to pray was it was probably either God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food, by his hands we all are fed, thank you Lord for daily bread. And of course that is a very sweet prayer, especially from the mouth of a of a child and thankful for that prayer. The weird thing is if you're 25 years old and that's the prayer you're still praying and the only prayer you're still praying, it gets a little weird. So, um, and, and basically you need to grow up and get some other words there so yes, you heard it here first. So a uh, good prayer, um, if we're not careful, though, it leads to some artificial praying. So I want to grow out of that. Or maybe the prayer you learned to pray was this. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, that's one less test I have to take. No, no. if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And maybe the problem with that prayer is that creates children who don't want to go to sleep. Because if I'm going to die before I wake, I'm staying up tonight, Mom and Dad. Why would you teach me that prayer, Mom and Dad? Why in the world would you put that before me? Um, Son and daughter, just pray after me. If the death angel comes... And takes you out tonight. May you be forever with the Lord. I mean, just maybe not the best prayer to pray over your children. But when it comes to prayers, probably chances are those are one of the two that we we learned and we held to. The problem is sometimes those can be very, like I said, artificial. And we just say words. And heading into this year, my prayer over my life, my family's life, as well as over our church's life. Was for us to desire more of God to want more of him or in the words of the apostle Paul or in the words of the prayer of the apostle Paul apostle Paul prayed now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church so the picture is god can do more than we could ask or think but just follow with me here brothers and sisters the key is we have to be asking And we have to be thinking of the things of God. So are we asking of God? Are we thinking on the things of God? And this morning we come to Isaiah 62, which gives us one of the most incredible pictures of prayer in all of the Old Testament. And I believe with all my heart that there has never been a time in the life of this church where we need to pray more than we do right now. And I'm not saying that because I think something terrible is happening or something terrible is coming, although the Bible makes it very clear we should always be watching and praying. So the Bible makes it clear that. But what I, The reason I say that is because we live in a culture that is affecting our church in a very serious way. There are those, just think about the way our culture has changed. I'm not talking about the last 30 years. I'm talking about the last 18 months, how our culture has changed. And let me just throw it out there, not for the better, but for for the worse. And then there are those in church that are letting the culture dictate their beliefs instead of letting God be true, instead of knowing God's word. And then we get inside the church, and there are those inside the church that are serving, and we thank God for those that are serving, but some are serving outside of a relationship with God. Meaning, not saying they don't know the Lord, but they're choosing to put their service over pursuing a relationship with the Lord. And their their service of God is completely cut off from knowing God and loving God and wanting more of God. Samuel Chadwick, a great church father, said this, The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, and prayerless religion think about that. Satan is not scared of a church that's busy serving and yet not busy knowing God. Satan could care less about that church. I mean, he goes on to say this, Satan laughs at our toil, he mocks at our wisdom, but yet he trembles when we pray. Do we want to be a church that Satan mocks because we're busy doing it our way and our strength and our power, or do we want to be a church that makes Satan tremble because we're depending on the power of God? And we're seeking Him. What we're about to read in Isaiah 62, which was basically a picture of the future salvation of the people of Israel. But what we're about to read is a a picture of prevailing prayer. It's what prevailing prayer looks like. a, A picture that we can't afford to miss. And the question for us today is, will we be a people who will not be silent? Before God? Will we be a people who will take no rest and give God no rest? I think of the words of Spurgeon. Just listen to this powerful, powerful quote. He says, There is never a moment when the heart of Christ ceases to beat with desire for the salvation of his redeemed. From the dreadful work of making atonement, he stayed not his hand, but set his face like a flint towards it until he could say, It is finished. A restless Savior calls upon his people to be restless and to make the Lord himself restless. In case you kind of got lost in translation there, what it means is this. Jesus took on the terrible work of making atonement for us. It wasn't a a happy time. It wasn't a time where Jesus said, but God only wants me to be happy. It wasn't that moment. Jesus endured. He was a man of grief, endured um, every form of every bit of the wrath of God for our sin for that was um, done or should have been done for us. He endured it. And the point is, he said it is finished. He endured every last drop of it. He was restless in everything that he did. and because he is restless, he desires us to be restless and to make him restless. Let me just say before we read this this morning, if we do not take this calling seriously, if we do not take this calling seriously to get after God like never before, I believe we will forever be a people who, in the words of James chapter 4, verse 2, will never have of God because we never ask of God. If we don't take this picture of persistent prayer seriously, we will forever be a people who will never have anything of God because we never ask of God. As Scripture says, you have not. Why? Because you ask not. You don't ask of God. So the question this morning is, are we asking God for anything beyond ourselves? Are you asking God for anything beyond yourselves? Are you asking God for things that only God can do? So I'm going to ask you, if you're able, to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read Isaiah 62, verses 1 through 7. As we read this, I want you to think about the prophet Isaiah writing these words and just hear his heart, hear his passion, hear his desire, and he's praying in this for the people of Israel. He's praying for God's people. So it says this, beginning at verse 1, "'For Zion's sake I will not keep silent, "'and for Jerusalem's sake I will not be quiet.'" until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nation shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed Desolate, you shall be called. My delight is in her, and your land married. For the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you, and as a bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night, they shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we come before your word in this picture of prevailing prayer. And God, teach us, Lord, teach us what it means as your people to not be silent before you. Teach us what it means, God, to to take no rest and to give you no rest. Teach us what it means, Lord, when we get to the New Testament, what it means to pester you, God, to continually come before you and knock and knock and knock and ask and ask and keep asking and keep seeking, Father. Teach us what that means even today. God, just show us, Lord, what desires of our hearts should be. and Lord, help us to desire, Lord, your desires. Would help our will to become your will for us. we want your will. We want it, Father, to speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I pray that what we just read, along with the Spirit's working um, in our hearts, will be a catalyst uh, um, for a God-empowered movement among us, that we would um, want and desire what... Isaiah was experiencing in this moment. Just think about this. Isaiah, the prophet, through the Holy Spirit, gives us a picture of a watchman. So a watchman on the walls who's looking out over all of the landscape, and he is consumed with his job. He's consumed with his service, yet he is not silent before God. He says it three times, I'm not going to be silent. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to not be silent. I'm going to keep speaking to God. And think about this. What consumes the prophet What consumes him so much that he would be up day and night? What is he so focused on that he loses sleep over? So, what I want to do this morning is I want us to take this picture of longing that we see from the prophet of Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, excuse me, and I want to use it to encourage us. Are we longing for God or are we sleeping through life? Are we longing and desiring God more than we did last week or 10 years ago or are we just coasting through? What are we? doing and so i'm going to show you today i pray that in our time i'm going to unpack four truths or four desires from isaiah 62 that must become our desires and the question we're going to lay over us today is why should we his people not be silent and why should we his people not give him rest so the message today if you're looking for a title it is we will not be silent We will not be silent. What I'm not speaking about is just us making our opinions known. Our opinions don't matter. So let's throw our opinions out the window. We all have opinions. We know what they're all like. Um, We don't want those. Let's throw our opinions out. What we want is we want God's word. We want his opinion. And we want what he would have us to do. And what he would have us to do according to his word is not be silent before him. So let's unpack four truths. First of all, we will not be silent. First, for we desire his glory To be restored to his people. We desire his glory to be restored to his people. Think about this statement. We want his glory. And just think about this question. What is God's glory? We would probably have many different ways of of answering that question. I, I can't find a better definition than the one that was given by Pastor Sam Storms. Who says this. The glory of God is the beauty of God unveiled. Glory is the resplendent radiance of his power and personality. Or listen to this, glory is all of God that makes God God and shows him to be worthy of our praise, our boasting, our trust, our hope, our confidence, and our joy. Glory is what you see and experience and feel when God goes public with his beauty. So glory is what you see when God goes public with who he is. When God says, ta-da, this is who I am. This is every time God shows himself to his people, what you have is glory. You have God's glory, his beauty, his picture of all that makes him God. But the question becomes, do we want that? And let me just show you a quick background of Isaiah 62. The people of Israel, the people of God, are experiencing the judgment of God because they have rebelled against God. So currently, as Isaiah is writing this, the people of the northern kingdom, Israel, are being defeated by Assyria. Not too long after, the people of the southern kingdom, Judah, are about to be wiped out by Babylon. Things are not the way they used to be and things are not the way they're supposed to be for the people of God. And so Isaiah, as the prophet, is looking and he's saying, I know what the people of God are supposed to be. I know the difference the people of God are supposed to make and this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So Isaiah has this holy dissatisfaction with the way things are. He knows where the people of God used to be He knows now where they are. They're being defeated. They're being trampled on. They're being made fun of by all the nations. And he's saying to himself, and he's saying here to us, this isn't the way it's supposed to be for God's people. In fact, he tells us the way it's supposed to be. In in verse 1, it says, Her righteousness is supposed to go forth as brightness. Her salvation is supposed to go forth as a burning torch. That's the way it's supposed to be for the people of God. Let me ask you a question this morning. We don't know much, thinking back, we don't know much about temple worship. We don't know as much as we should about the sacrifices. We don't know, um, like the people of Israel, about the visible display of the glory of God or even um, how Isaiah experienced that visible display of the glory of God. Unfortunately, sometimes we're just so used to living Christian life that's even void of life and we don't even know the difference. But the, the question is this. Do you have a holy dissatisfaction for where the church is today. Do you have a holy dissatisfaction for where the church is today? And I, I would think most of us, if you've been a part of the church, you would probably say, yes, I see the problems here. The problem is what we think the answer is. So that's, that becomes the problem is what you think the answer is to the problem. And let me just lay it out here. If you want to know what the church was intended to be, don't go back just 20 years or 50 years and long for the good old days. If you want to know what the church was meant to be, open up to the book of Acts and look at the days of God's glory. Look at the days where God's Spirit comes upon the church and just see the difference that they made in the world. Some people might tell you things like, well, what what good can just so many people, what good can just this many people make in the world? And yet we read the Word of God of 11, 11 men who turned the world upside down. This is what we read. This is what we see. This is what we know. Think about the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. The first sermon Peter preaches. He gets up. He preaches this message and thousands of people repent and turn to Christ as their Lord and Savior. In Acts chapter 3, a lame man who has never walked is now leaping, rejoicing, and praising God. In Acts 4, a Thousands more are coming to Christ. In Acts 5, the numbers of disciples are still increasing, and now the disciples are being persecuted. And get this, they're happy about it. In fact, Acts 5 says they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer this honor for the name. They're getting beaten, and they're going, This is awesome! This is awesome because we're worthy of that. Just imagine that. In Acts 12, the Word is increasing and multiplying. In Acts 19, it says, The Word of the Lord prevailed and continued to prevail mightily. Chapter by chapter in the book of Acts, God's Spirit is working through God's people. Uh, Amazing things are happening. And God is adding to the church those who are being saved. Just think about that and... When we look and read the book of Acts, we are left to stand back and look at the church today and say, What happened? What happened? What in the world happened to the power of God among his people? What happened to people being added daily to the church? What happened? And then we're led to ask the question, or left to ask the question, do we really want that in the church? Do we want God's power among His people? Do we want God to do things among us that can only be explained by Him? Do we want to see people added daily to the church? Do we want to see people that we would think on our own would never, ever, ever respond to the gospel? Do we want to see them become worshipers of Jesus Christ? Do we want that? Do we long to see God's glory restored to His church? I think these are huge questions for us, and if we really want it, then we realize that things must change. Let me just say this. If we want God's glory, things have to change. But here's the problem with saying that in church. When I say things have to change, we immediately start thinking about, "Uh uh-oh, is he going to step on my program? Is he going to mess with my preference? He better not take my preference away from me. And that's what we begin to think about. And let me just go ahead and say this. Maybe your preference needs to be taken away from you because maybe your preference has become a golden calf that needs to go But um, let me just put you at ease. I'm not talking about those things right now. What needs to change is us. That's what needs to change. If you and I are to be the people that God would have us to be, we need to either A, draw a circle around ourselves or lay ourselves on the altar and say, God, start right here with me. Start right here with me, God. God. It's so easy for us to to look at everybody else. I I always get tickled of people who come to me after the message and say, that was such a great message. And as you were saying it, I just couldn't help but think that I I wish so-and-so was here to to hear it. Or I I hope so-and-so was listening. You were talking. I just kept praying about them. And just, I I appreciate that. But Before the word is for them, it's for you. Before the word is for y'all, it's for me. So we need to make sure we're not just getting, Satan loves us to go, man, if only so-and-so was listening, or like Brandy does, just constantly elbow Dean. Dean, are you listening? Dean, you better hear this. I mean, Satan wants us to be focused on other people and not on what the Word of God would say. I was, I'm just kidding. That doesn't happen much. <laughs> Uh, Satan wants us to be focused on that, but may we desire God's glory to be restored to his people. But then secondly, we will not be silent for we desire his praise to resound among all people. So we want God's praise among all people. Just think about the ultimate purpose of God. When God comes to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 and God calls Abram out and God says, Abram, I got some good news for you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be the father of of all nations. You're going to be a nation. And then he says this, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then this beautiful thing in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. When God makes this promise to Abraham, it didn't just involve the people of Israel. It involved all people. Just get this. Brothers and sisters, God blesses nations so that they should be a blessing to other nations. It's what the psalmist prays about in in Psalm 67 when the psalmist said, Bless us, God. Bless us indeed that your blessing, your glory may be known throughout all the earth. And then the psalmist says, Let the peoples praise you, God. Let all the people praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Just get this, from the very beginning, God bound up His character, His reputation, His renown in the state of His people. Meaning, God displayed His holiness through His people. God displayed His majesty, His power, His love, His mercy, His grace through His people. God blessed them so that they would be a blessing to the nations. So listen to what the prophet is crying out here. Look at verse 2. The prophet is saying the nations need to see your righteousness. And all the kings, those wicked kings, need to see your glory. Look at verse 7. Give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. Why? And makes it a praise in all the earth. So the nations and the kings would come to see the righteousness of God. Get this. Only when they saw God's glory through God's people. That's why the prophet can't sleep at night. It's not just because Israel's not who they're supposed to be. It's because because they're not who they're supposed to be. the The nations around them aren't coming to God. Just think about this, brothers and sisters. When you and I neglect the word of God, when we neglect the work of God, not only do we pay for it, but the lost world around us pays for it. This is the picture that we often neglect. This is what Isaiah is saying. Because Israel has forsaken God, the nations, the wicked nations around them are paying for it. Because they're not being who God called them to be, the nation is suffering. The nations need to see the glory of God. And the only way they're going to see the glory of God is through God's people. I love the words of John Piper who says this. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Then he says, worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. So there will be a day when there will be no more missions. When we're on the throne of God worshiping him, there will be no more missions. There will only be worship. Today there is need of missions. But he says this, the reason there is need for missions is because we haven't worshipped God like we should. The reason missions exist is because God's people aren't worshiping God. In fact, think about this. The reason the nations are in the state that they were in when Isaiah is writing here and the reason our world is in the state that it's in today is because worshipers of God or who claim to be worshipers of God aren't worshiping God, they're worshiping themselves. And because we're worshiping ourselves, the people around us are going, "Why why would I follow you? You're worshiping the same thing I'm worshiping. Your God is so puny, he can't even get your attention. Why would I worship what you're worshiping? The world doesn't see a difference in us. Let me give you a a mind-blowing, just a a mind-blowing example from history of a people who came together, began to pray, and through their prayer, the nations were shaken. In 1727, a long time ago, 15 Moravian Christians met at night to pray. They were so caught in and so caught up in prayer that they prayed all night long. A couple days later, they had a communion service where they felt God calling them to give themselves to his mission of impacting the world. From that time, 24 men and 24 women made a covenant to pray at different times, um, basically covering every hour of every day of every week. Just think about that. From the first time they met, their hearts were caught up with um, the call to take the gospel to different countries. And the Moravians, they were so caught up and they, they were so in and, and, and just basically just um, couldn't get over this. that They, they gave themselves to this prayer and guarded it so much, get this, that for 100 years, for 100 years, not one hour of prayer was neglected. For 100 years, for 20. Just, just think about this. For 36,500 days, not one hour was missed in praying. 876,000 hours someone was praying. And we, we look at that and we go, well, that's them, that's not us. But let me tell you what happened because that was them. Because that was them, their, their children began to pray missions and because of that, um, in, in 32 years, 226 missionaries were sent out in, into 10 different countries. At one different time, 29, 29 uh, Moravian missionaries get this sold themselves into slavery in order to go and to proclaim the gospel to slaves who had never heard the gospel. They're doing this. Why? Because they're praying, and as they're praying, God is working in their life, and it's not just for them. It's for the nations, and because of that, God's praise is resounding among the nations. I guess the best way to say this is this. Brothers and sisters, it's not just about us. It's not about us. It's about what God wants to do through us, in us, and through us for the sake of the world that we live in. May we not be silent because we desire His praise to resound among all people. And then third, we will not be silent for we desire His promises to be remembered by His people. We desire His promises. Look at verse 6 with me. The very end of verse 6, it says, You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest. And what that basically means is this. Don't stop reminding God of His word. Don't stop reminding God of his word. Think about the privilege that you and I have, puny us, to come before the presence of God and say, God, um, remember when you said that? Um, Can can you do it? There's a beautiful story of oriental kings who used to maintain um, an officer who was called the remembrancer. His job was to remind the king of all the promises he had made. Because the king was busy um, ruling and reigning, he would often forget the promises that he had made years um, uh, ago. And so the the remembrancer would come into his presence and would say, Please, your majesty, you promised this or that. And then he would say this, May it please you, O king, to keep your word. May it please you, O king, to keep your word. I'm going to use an example I've used many times before, but I can't think of a better one. George Mueller is known as one of the greatest men of prayer the church has ever seen. In the last 60 years of his life, he raised the equivalent of $7 million um, to care for over 10,000 orphans and get this by never asking anyone for money, only by praying. Only through prayer. It is said that in his prayer journal, he had over 50,000 answered prayers in his prayer journal, and 30,000 of them were answered the same exact day he prayed them. Just let that sink in. I pray that our question right now is, what was his secret? What in the world was he doing? And the answer is this. He never prayed for something just because he wanted it. He never prayed for something just because he thought it would be good. Anytime God laid something upon his heart, he would search the word to find a promise that covered what he believed God was asking. Some days he would search the word um, days upon days upon days upon days. Finally, he would get a word. And what he would do is he would... Go before God in prayer. He would open up his Bible. He would put his finger on the promise. And he would say, God, may it please you to keep your word. May it please you, oh God, to keep your word. And guess what God did? He answered. God loves to be reminded. In fact, if you're reading the F 260 Bible reading plan, we saw that this week. Jacob, this guy who was known as the deceiver, yet when he's coming back to um, encounter his brother, Jacob stops and says, God, you told me that you would bring me back here and it would all be good. So Jacob, this deceiver, even he is bringing to God the promises that God had made. And this is where we realize that this book is full of promises. Conservative uh, estimates say 3,000 promises. Liberal estimates say 7,000 promises. Regardless, there's a bunch of promises. And I get it that some of them um, are, are for specific and unique situations. Not all of them are pertaining to us. Yet, please hear this, brothers and sisters. The goal of reading this book is not just to read this book. The goal is to pray through this book. And as we read it, as God shows us things about himself or promises that we are praying through this. And maybe there are times where we need to stop and we need to put our finger on a promise. And we say, God, may it please you to keep your word in my life. May it please you to keep your word in this situation. May it please you, God, to do this. And God is a God who loves to keep his word. If we're going to put God to remembrance, though, we have to know His Word. We have to know His Word. It's not enough for just a pastor to know His Word or a few people in the church. We have to know His Word. We have to know it, and then we have to put our finger on it. We have to trust God to do what only He can do. Let's not be silent, and let's desire God to keep His promises, knowing that He will. And then lastly, lastly, we will not be silent For we desire his son to return for his people. Let me just go back just real quick. I'm so thankful. Uh, Both Morgan and Madison are doing their Bible reading plans this year. Morgan's doing the F260 plan and Madison has been doing the 555 um, plan. And this past week I walked in and Madison was doing the 555 plan. And it caused you to basically, you read through the whole New Testament in a year. And um, it calls you to read for five minutes a day um, to highlight anything that stood out to you and then to pray about those things. And I walked in, or I think she was at the table, and Morgan and myself were looking at her, and one whole page of the Bible, the whole thing was highlighted. I mean, the whole thing. I mean, every bit of it was highlighted. And, And, of course, Morgan made a comment to her and said, you're only supposed to highlight the important parts. And Madison said, but it's God's Word. It's all important. Boom! That's the way you that's the way you get it. That's the way you answer. But here's the point, brothers and sisters, it's God's word. It's all important. Now, you don't have to highlight every bit of it, but every part of it. It's not just the red letters that are important. Every bit of it is God's word. And we need to give ourselves in that way. But then, of course, let me get back to the last point. We desire his son to return for his people. I'm not gonna say, I'm not gonna say that I saved the best for last, but if you wanted to say it, you wouldn't be lying. Just, just so you know. So let's come back to verses three and four. Just look at this. It says, You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. So speaking of, of Israel, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be turned forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed desolate, but you shall be called my delight is in her. Your land Married, for the Lord delights in you, and your land shall be married. So this is an amazing promise of God to his people. And so here's what's happening. Because of their sin, because of their rebellion against God, the people of Israel have have been um, just demolished and their land had been left desolate. So just imagine a desolate land, and then imagine the nations. So the nations are looking at the people of Israel saying, your God has forsaken you. Your God has given up on you. Your God has no future plans for you. Just imagine that picture. And Isaiah is dealing with that, and in the midst of that, Isaiah has to be reminded of the promises of God. And the fact is, no longer would they be desolate. God would inhabit. No longer would they, they be um, divorced. They were going to be married in this way. But look at verse 5. Look at the very end of verse 5. It says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. And the picture is of a bride at the altar waiting for the groom to come to walk down to meet her and to rejoice over her. When we get to the New Testament, we realize that we are the bride of Christ. And as the bride of Christ, we are waiting for Christ to come and to return and to rejoice over us. In fact, when you read the New Testament, we are the watchman on the wall. We're the watchman on the wall. And even when we see Satan at work, we still know that... Our Savior is coming. We still know that our hope and our, our prayer is that we have a King who will come for us. In fact, let me say it this way. On your worst day, I don't know what you have went through this week. I know many of us in this room, Misty had the flu for most of the week. Therefore, I was mom and I was dad most of the week and everything in between. And I failed miserably at most of it. In fact, Morgan and Madison and Malachi are going to make a mom please get well this isn't going well for us and it was a miserable week on on our in our house in that way and some of you I know you've had the same thing so on your worst day or in your worst week we can still know that there is a king who is coming for us and he's coming for Not just to smack us around as His people. He's coming to rejoice over us. He's coming to remove us from sin. He's coming to remove us from the presence of of not just sin, but every pain and every suffering. He's coming and according to His word, He will wipe every tear from our eyes. But could it be that one of the reasons that we don't pray like we should is because we've gotten used to His absence? Could it be that one of the reasons we're not interested in God is because for us, God is a far distant being? Could it be that we see God far off instead of seeing Him near? Could it be that somewhere along the way we stop seeking Him and we're just okay with what we know? And just to throw it out there, Satan is okay with your knowledge as long as your knowledge doesn't lead you to trust God any more than you're currently trusting. Could it be that we aren't having the impact on our world. We aren't getting after God like we should. Because somehow, way, we've gotten content. I pray that as a church, we would want more of him. As a church, that we would want more of his glory. That we would want more of his majesty. That we would want to see his grace extended to the the nations not just around us yes there but to the nations in the same way that we would be a people who would grab a hold of the promises of God we would put our fingers on the promises of God and we would say to God may it please you O God to keep your word for the sake of his glory for the sake of his praise for the sake of his his promises may we not be silent before him let us, according to Isaiah 62, 6 and 7, let us take no rest and let us give him no rest until we have our full reward. And in case you don't know what that is, our full reward is having him and having him forever. I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to call us a time of prayer, and I, I can't help, it, I can't help but feel a little bit like Isaiah. I can't help but in this moment, feel like God, we're not what we're supposed to be. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. God, we're playing games when people are perishing. I can't help but think about that reality. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you. Lord, the first thing we have to say, God, is forgive us. Forgive us for playing games, God. Oftentimes, Lord, the world is perishing and we're worrying about our preferences. The world is perishing, God, and we're worrying about everything else but. Your glory is being profaned, God, not just in the nations, but in the church, God, and we act like we don't care. God, it's time for us to speak up, Lord, to realize that things are not the way they're supposed to be. For us to desire, Lord, that change, God, beginning in us. Start in us, God. Start in us, Lord. Help us to desire, Lord, your glory to be restored. Help us desire, God, your praise to resound to all people. But help us to desire to remember your promises. Help us to desire, Lord, for you to return. i To say, along with the apostle John, "Come, Lord." Jesus come Lord Jesus free us from this God whatever our need is today the answer is you so meet us there and Lord remind us in this moment that you don't want to keep us there you want to bring us to yourself do that oh God we pray Jesus' name. Amen.